0: Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Elise Dorita. Today's guest is Kate Nolan from Lathrop Gage. Kate spoke to us from Kansas City, Missouri, where she is based. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Kate. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Elise. Thanks for having me. So we're going to jump right in. Tell us about your
1: background. I started with a nonprofit organization called CASA. It stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. And I was with that organization for about eight years. I started as a staff attorney there and then transitioned to the role of director of legal services and then eventually became the vice president of legal and case management. And then before that, I was a law clerk for a circuit judge here in Kansas City, Missouri.
0: Great. So I noticed when I was researching you with our... uh, research team that you went to University of Missouri for undergrad and for law school. So I was wondering kind of, is that, are you a die hard person that's always been from Missouri? What, where did you grow up and where did you go to school?
1: I grew up in a very small town in the southeastern part of Missouri called Chaffee. It is in what's known as the boot heel of Missouri. And from there, I, as you said, went to the University of Missouri in Columbia, what's known as Mizzou, for undergrad, and then stayed for law school. So I think the short answer to your question is yes, I'm, I'm diehard Mizzou, <laughs> which can sometimes be a challenge here in Kansas City, um, even though we are on uh, the Missouri side, um, we we have a a little bit of a rivalry with our, our Kansas friends. So why'd you decide
0: to become a lawyer?
1: In undergrad, I took an elective course in child advocacy and it was in that course that I learned about all of the different things you could do with a law degree, particularly being a voice for someone that doesn't normally have a voice in our, in our justice system. And that was very intriguing to me. Um, so that's what led me to, to law school.
0: So would you say that's what sparked your passion for pro bono and access to justice?
1: I think that was part of it. Um, also in undergrad, um, I was in a sorority who, whose national philanthropy happened to be CASA, um, which as I said, is where I, I, Started my career. Um, So from a very young age, I was aware of this organization whose mission was to be a voice for for those who didn't have a voice in court. Um, So I think it was a combination of things. Um, It was those two experiences in undergrad, but then also in law school, I had the opportunity to be a part of a clinic. Mizzou has some, some wonderful clinics where you can get really good practical experience And I was in the domestic violence clinic. It was led by Professor Mary Beck, who was just really good at helping students understand the justice gap and understand um, what it meant to not have a voice in in the court system. And so I got some great experience through that clinic, not just learning about that, but Um, learning some really practical litigation skills. Um, I was able to spend some time in the courtroom as a student cross-examining witnesses and presenting evidence. And so I think that also sparked not only my interest in in access to justice, but my interest in um, being in the courtroom as well.
0: That's great. So we talked about your career history, um, and we just touched on how you worked at CASA and how you had that kind of experience when you are a sorority, could you share some experiences from your time as a public
1: interest lawyer before you joined the firm? Sure. So when I was a law clerk, the judge I worked for was really helpful in helping me identify exactly what path I wanted to take when my clerkship was completed. It was a two-year clerkship, and um, I was able to witness jury trials and work on several different kinds of motions with her and, but a lot of our time was spent um, thinking about my career and she was a a wonderful and still is a wonderful mentor to me. Um, And so I was just really lucky that when my clerkship ended, there was an open position at CASA. Um, I started with them, as I said, a staff attorney. They are somewhat unique Uh, compared to other CASA programs across the country because they have attorneys on staff. Um, So each CASA case has an attorney, a social worker, and a volunteer. So I had the good fortune of learning a lot about social work by working closely as a team um, with these experts in other disciplines. Um, I supervised other attorneys, um, went to court, taught volunteer training courses and then started to realize that our staff was not able to take on the caseload that we were given by the court. Um, We really had more court appointments than we could handle with our current staff, and we didn't have the resources to grow our staff. And so I started to recruit volunteer attorneys from firms around town. Um, So we would find attorneys that were interested in, in doing volunteer service for us. And then we would um, give them the training and the knowledge and sort of hold their hand through the first case. Um, And then with the uh, intention of getting them hooked and getting them really interested in the work, and then they would take on maybe one or two or three cases of their own pro bono, which would allow us to, um, to really staff our cases in a way that we wanted rather than being uh, completely overwhelmed by the number of appointments. And then the reason that led me to Lathrop Gage is because um, about two years ago, um, Lathrop Gage had a growing national presence and was really wanting to build a more structured pro bono program. And so they created this role um, to provide more support for pro bono um, when I learned that they were creating this position I jumped at the chance to um, share some of my ideas with them because I had been working with volunteer attorneys at firms during my time at Casa and so I, I thought that I had an idea of some of the challenges that they faced when it came to doing pro bono pro bono work um, whether that's just time or inertia or training or just knowing the options. And so it seemed like a natural transition from recruiting volunteer attorneys at CASA to, in a sense, recruiting volunteer attorneys here at the firm to do pro bono.
0: So you're in the Kansas City office of Lathrop Gage. Generally speaking, what is the pro bono and access to justice culture like in Kansas City?
1: The pro bono culture in Kansas City is incredibly collaborative. We have several new um, pro bono professionals joining the community just in the last couple of years, and so I'm happy to say that it's a growing community. We meet um, at least quarterly to discuss um, community needs, to uh, make referrals to one another, to share ideas. It's a wonderful community in which we support each other and um, and work together to try to meet as many of the pro bono needs as possible. Um, you know, we may have um, different specialties or different expertise to offer to the pro bono community, and so um, sharing ideas is a great way to, to get to as many of those as we can. Um, I'd like to say that Kansas city is unique in that way and and brag about us, but I, I don't know that it is because as I travel around to our other offices, I notice the same thing, whether it's in Chicago or Denver, when I am there, I know that I have access to a pro bono community in which I'm welcomed at their meetings or, um, um, at their, you know, CLEs and trainings. And so, um, While we definitely have that here in Kansas City, I think it it speaks to this larger nationwide pro bono community that, that we're really lucky to be a part of.
0: That's great that you have kind of such a supporting and inspiring environment in Kansas City. So what are the most pressing legal needs in Kansas City?
1: I think we probably have similar needs to other communities. Um, We always have a need for um, help with domestic issues, um, with divorces, um, domestic violence, housing, um, some of the things that you probably hear about in in every city. Um, Certainly, those needs have not necessarily changed, but um, maybe the focus has shifted a little bit in the last year or so. Um, We have a lot of attorneys that um, have recently become more interested in things like immigration and civil rights issues and are seeking out um, training and, and more knowledge about those um, more timely topics. Um, so I think it's it's sort of ever-changing.
0: Yeah, especially as, um, I guess, all these crises pop up in the legal community, uh, the pro bono community has had to kind of shift and change and focus on these kind of new pockets that weren't necessarily as big of a crisis and an issue years ago. Uh, so, we're going to shift focus a little to the firm. Could you tell us a little bit about Lathrop Gage? You mentioned how they in various offices.
1: Sure. We have just under um, 300 attorneys um, with IP business litigation, and corporate practices in, as I said, 10 offices uh, nationwide. Um, Our firm is just over 140 years old, so I am very lucky um, to be a part of a firm that has a really long history of civic engagement, of community involvement, and a culture that was in place for me before I arrived, Um, so I'm very fortunate to have that, not just within the attorneys, but um, you know, ev- everyone from, from the management level um, to attorneys and staff as well.
0: That's great. So let's talk about your role at the firm. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier on. How do you spend your time and is there anything you wish you could be doing more of?
1: Most of my time is spent coordinating our pro bono efforts Um, So that includes visiting our offices, um, presenting on the various pro bono opportunities that are available in in each of our communities, helping our attorneys identify what it is um, they're passionate about um, when it comes to pro bono, um, where they'd like to spend their time forming and nurturing those relationships that are so important with our legal service partners and nonprofit organizations um, and then just providing the the day-to-day logistical support that comes along with um, taking on a pro bono case um, you know how to open a case how to track your hours um, those types of things and then part of my time is spent on juvenile court appointments in Jackson County Missouri where I'm based here in Kansas City the juvenile court, appoints attorneys to juvenile court cases to represent either parents or children. And Lathrop Gage has one full-time employee that's dedicated to taking those cases, Um, a colleague of mine. um, She's an expert in those cases, and she has a ton of experience handling them. And so um, it makes sense for her to take all of Our firm's appointments. However, there are a lot of them. And so I have um, a good handful of those cases that allow me to do some of my own pro bono work to continue to, you know, stay active and and go to go to court and keep up some of those litigation skills, which I really enjoy I'm also on the recruiting committee, which is a lot of fun because it means I get to interview law students, many of which are very passionate about pro bono. I think law schools today are doing a fantastic job of um, encouraging students to make pro bono a part of their daily practice and to think about where they want to give back their time and their, and their skills. And so it's a lot of fun to field some of those questions from law students about our program and what they might expect and, um, and get to talk about that more. So I really enjoy that. And then some of my time is spent on the firm's uh, charitable giving. Um, So with a team of colleagues here at the firm, um, we review requests from our attorneys for either event sponsorships or donations um, and help our attorneys identify where they think we should be focusing some of our firm's charitable giving, which is a lot of fun as well.
0: Sounds like you get to wear many hats. And the recruiting thing I thought was pretty interesting because I feel like a lot of law students these days, that's really important to them is to know that the firm has a pro bono program. And even all our guests, when we're like, why did you go to this firm? They're always like, it was really important to me that there's this culture where pro bono was really important. So um, yeah, I think that's an important thing to get out there because a lot of people are looking for it. Um, And it's great that you feel like students are kind of more aware than they used to be about it too.
1: I think you're right. And I think they're asking really specific questions, which is great. You know, they're not just asking about pro bono to ask, you know, to have something to say in an interview. A lot of these students have given it some thought, I think, because their law schools have encouraged them to do so. And so they're asking specific questions about pro bono programs, about, you know, whether or not there's billable credit and how much and and how does it work and how do do cases come to the firm? Um, What is the, you know, support for pro bono? What does the pro bono um, staff look like? That kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think, the specific questions tell us that these students have put a lot of thought into where they want to dedicate their time when it comes to pro bono, which is really encouraging.
0: Let's take a break to introduce a new segment on the podcast that we're calling Pro Bono in the News. Perhaps you missed a recent op-ed in the New York Times by columnist Nick Kristoff. The title of the piece was, Is the Business World All About Greed? Spoiler alert, he doesn't think the business world is only made up of a bunch of immoral, money-grubbing sellouts. His words. Rather, he thinks that the business can be a hugely important force for progress. He knows that millennials in particular want to work for ethical companies, patronize brands that make them feel good, and invest in socially responsible companies. He goes on to share that in his opinion, and ours of course, the best industry for doing good is law, pro bono work. It's critically important to Christoph that pro bono efforts are held accountable by metrics like the Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge and the American Lawyer Rankings, which uses the challenge definition of pro bono. So don't miss this high-profile shout-out to the legal profession and to pro bono. Put a link on our show page for this episode to make it easy to find. And now, back to our conversation with Kate. So, what motivates and inspires you?
1: I'm certainly motivated by the never-ending justice gap, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's always a need for pro bono legal services. There's never a lack of referrals from our legal service partners. So that is a daily motivation to know that there um, are more cases out there and, and more people that need help. As far as um, what inspires me, I'm certainly inspired by our firm's attorneys. They have very busy caseloads um, of their own and very little time. And to watch our attorneys dedicate so much time to pro bono clients is, is really inspiring. And it's, it's inspiring in the way that I was inspired by CASA volunteers when I worked there. I'm, I'm always fascinated by um, people that are just willing to give of themselves and of their time um, even if they don't have a lot of time to give. Um, so I'm, I'm motivated and inspired by them every day to, to keep working and finding them the best opportunities and helping them and supporting them. But I'm also really inspired by the ideas and the energy that I get from our pro bono community. I mentioned how collaborative our Kansas City community is, but, but also nationally. Um, I can remember going to the PBI conference for the first time, um, two years ago, I guess I started in March of 2016. And I want to say the PBI conference was maybe like the next week after I had started at Lathrop Gage. Um, and I had gotten a, a hot tip that I needed to be at this conference, um, that I would be a great place to meet wonderful people and, get good information. And I was lucky enough that the firm was supportive supportive of that. Um, So I show up at Lathrop Gage as their brand new pro bono coordinator and tell them that I want to run off to this conference the very next week. And they were really supportive of that and just said, go and, you know, learn and gather information. And we're excited to hear all about it when you get back. Um, And I can remember showing up at Pro Bono 101, which is the very first session of the conference on you know on the first um, day, and um, Tammy and Rena approaching me at Pro Bono One Hundred One to say welcome, and we hear you're from Kansas City, and how are things in Kansas City, and how can we help? And I just realized in that session that oh, this is not a conference where I'm just going to get good information and you know take back some good ideas. This I've stepped into a community that wants to help me do my job really well and that wants to be a resource for me. And so that was just great timing and a great way to start off my career. And, and I left that conference really inspired and really excited um, to come back and get started. So I'm inspired by our firm's attorneys, but also just this community that we are so lucky to be a part of.
0: That's amazing, and uh, it's definitely like a feel-good thing to hear. And even since then, uh, you've become a member of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project, so uh, we're happy to keep working together and uh, definitely enjoy it, and we're going to miss you at the conference this year. So I'm so
1: sad to miss (laughs) this year, yes. I I can't be there this year. Um, But, yes, since we are now a law firm member, I know that I have – Um, Even more access to you all there (laughs) can ask questions at any time, which is really nice to know.
0: So since you went to law firm Pro Bono 101, what have been your biggest lessons
1: learned? So I've joked, I think, maybe with Rena that at some point it would be fun to have like a panel of so you're from nonprofit or so this is your first time building a pro bono program or something like that. Um, Because there are are lots of lessons to be learned when you're, when you're first building a program and specifically when coming from the nonprofit world. Um, And I think one tip that I would give um, someone coming from the nonprofit world would be to really take your time when you first arrive at your new firm to get to know as many of the attorneys as possible, get to know the staff, get to know the procedures of the firm, how the firm is organized, um, all the, the little things that maybe to a nonprofit person wouldn't seem as exciting but are really essential in building a foundation for a new program. I think sometimes those of us that come from the nonprofit world are so hyper aware of the needs of the community because it's what we've been doing for so long that when we show up at a firm, we just wanna dive right in and start these big projects and get everybody involved. And um, while that's great, um, it's really helpful I think to um, learn as much as possible about the procedures and get some consistent practices in place um, first and, and to not be afraid to take the time to do that even if what you really want to do is just start planning like an entire year of, of CLEs for your firm or something.
0: Your idea is actually becoming reality this year. We're having we are having a session um, called Transitioning from the Other Side, which I like to call Hello from the Other Side via Dell. Um, <laughs> about <laughs> coming from name. public interest nonprofits into law firms. Because uh, yeah it's a lot of people have had that experience I found while I'm working here and doing the podcast, um, a lot of people transition from public interest to law firm, and there are definitely um, things you have to get used to, challenges, and then what you can bring with, like, your experience into this kind of different environment. Um, so we're excited to do that this year, and it sounds like your idea is kind of coming to fruition, which is exciting.
1: That's great, and I'm going to miss it, so I'll have, to, I'll have to get an update and hear all about it. Definitely.
0: So what... Do you find works best to incentivize and
1: motivate attorneys at the
0: firm to get involved in pro bono?
1: I think one way to incentivize and motivate attorneys is just through storytelling. We make a point here at Lathrop Gage to tell the stories of pro bono successes Um, and some of those feel-good stories so that colleagues know um, what's happening at the firm. And I think just hearing about the needs in their community, hearing about what um, other attorneys in the firm are doing can be really powerful. And then also just getting them hooked, so to speak, um, which is a strategy that I often used when recruiting volunteer attorneys at CASA. So giving them what they need in the beginning, whether that's training or knowledge or just a lot of support in the beginning of a a new case, and then hopefully getting them hooked, getting, you know, the, the pro bono bug and wanting to take not only more cases, but wanting to make having a pro bono case a regular part of their practice.
0: Yeah, that's uh, definitely important, and I have heard about our sessions about storytelling. We had one last year, but there's tons that people always talk about, um, kind of saying how it really uh, was important to them, and uh, it changed them, so I'm glad that that is something that uh, that people continue to use. So you have a history of representing children in Family Corp. We kind of just talked about how in addition to the, all the other things you do, you still kind of manage to take on some cases. What drew you to this type of work?
1: Well, CASA's mission is to be a voice for children in court, and as I said earlier, they do that by assigning a community volunteer to every case, and that volunteer has gone through many hours of training on the family court system, um, on child development, on the effects of abuse and neglect before they ever actually meet the child that's that they represent, and I loved working with, with these people because I'm fascinated not only by their commitment of time and the training and the visiting the child and attending court, but also the emotional investment. Um, they really had a hands-on volunteer experience because they were um, with a child in the placement and hearing their their wishes and their fears and and what they wanted for their for their future, and so i'm really really fascinated by the volunteer aspect of casa 's mission um, and I also really enjoyed representing teenagers when I was there. Um, they often have Complicated issues, even if they never step foot into the juvenile court system. Um, so things can get really complicated when a young person is trying to navigate their teenage years. Um, but especially when they've suffered trauma or they're living outside of their parents' home, in a, maybe in a foster home or a residential facility. And so you can imagine that sometimes what they want is a lot different from what I or what a volunteer thinks is in their best interest. So a lot of our time was spent helping some of these older youth to express themselves if if their ideas were different from ours, whether that's um, to us or to the court, um, standing up in a courtroom and speaking for themselves for the first time. Um, You can imagine that... um, Going to court as a young person, but especially as a teenager and hearing all of these adults that don't necessarily know you personally speak for you and about your life can, um, can be really frustrating. And so helping them, um, figure out what it was that, that they wanted for their future and then, um, expressing that to the other people in their lives, um, was, was complicated and challenging sometimes but a lot of fun to do
0: we talked about this in a a recent episode about how um representing children so children like you're saying already kind of it's hard already to especially teenagers navigate your own life deal with all the changes um but then you come to the situation now you need someone to help you advocate for yourself and you already kind of are going through all these things so it's really great that um you and other people are there for them because it's already just something on top of our difficult situation.
1: Right, and that's why the volunteer is so important as well because as a child makes their way through the family or juvenile court system, They don't have a lot of constants. They may change placements for a number of reasons. Um, They may move from a foster home to a residential facility or from a foster home to another foster home. They may have different social workers over the life of the case just due to um, the turnover in that department. They may see different judges at each hearing depending on the court's schedule, but the volunteer is their, their one constant. So the one person that they see every time they go to court or each month in their placement. And I think that consistency provides, hopefully, a sense of stability that they might not otherwise have. Um, So when I talk about, you know, the emotional investment of volunteers, I I really respect that um, CASA volunteers are in it for the long haul, so to speak, and um, stick with a child through that process. I think it's really important.
0: That's amazing, and I I think it does make a difference with the stability, like you said. So what are some additional examples of pro bono matters that have been particularly meaningful to you over the course of your year? You probably have a lot to pick from, given (laughs) what we were just talking about.
1: Well, I've been at Lathrop Gage for just under two years, Um, so I'm lucky that we have a lot of great stories, of our attorneys doing good work, but a couple do stand out to me, just From recent cases, uh, we had an associate that was working with a woman through the Warrant Relief Program, which is a program through our local bar association, and she had 17 warrants. And our attorney worked with her not only to get every single one of those warrants dismissed, but to also develop a plan with the court to get her life back on track so that this hopefully did not become an issue again. As you know, and as we all talk about in this community, poverty is hard work. And this woman that our associate was working with just could not get ahead. And these warrants were just another issue that was hanging over her that prevented her from securing stable employment or getting the housing that was appropriate for her family. And without without that, without getting those warrants taken care of, she just could not make any forward progress. But it didn't stop there with the warrants. My favorite part of the case was the fact that this associate then really went above and beyond his legal representation of her to connect her to community resources to help her spruce up her resume, to find opportunities within the community to become involved and, and better herself once the warrants were taken care of. In fact, we have this great photo of him and her at her house because he worked with a community organization to get her a big care package of toiletries and food and things to just help her you know, get set off on the right foot in her new home with her children. And there's a, a photo of the, of the two of them in this giant box that this organization has, has given her. So he really developed a relationship with this client that lasted beyond just taking care of the legal issues that he said he would take care of when the case started. And I think that was inspirational to the rest of us and a story that we were happy to tell around the firm just about the way that he went above and beyond with her.
0: That's great. Do you have any other recent examples? I know you said you had a few.
1: Another example that I like to talk about recently is through our neighborhood partnership. There's a wonderful program through Legal Aid of Western Missouri in which law firms partner with neighborhoods to tackle abandoned housing and maybe other legal issues that come up And we recently had a case in which an associate was working with the neighborhood to um, take back an abandoned home within the neighborhood. But once they did that, there was an organization, a group that helped men get back on their feet. Maybe they needed extra support or help with finding employment, whatever it might be. Um, This organization was interested in having a home for these men within the neighborhood. And you can imagine that the neighborhood was a little bit maybe reluctant, just not knowing a lot about the organization, wasn't sure what it would mean for their community, just a little bit understandably anxious about that. And our um, attorney here at Lathrop Gage was able to get really creative with um, creating a partnership between the neighborhood and this men's organization to figure out how it could benefit not only the organization and the community, but the neighborhood. And because he had a good relationship with the leaders of the neighborhood and because they trusted him, he was able to to really think creatively and, and help them form a relationship that everyone would be comfortable with. So I, I love to tell that story because so often, you know, all of our cases require a level of creativity, but so often when we're dealing with social justice issues or pro bono cases, um, we really have to not be afraid to to get creative and think about how we can help the community in ways that maybe are not traditional.
0: That's definitely true. What's on the horizon for the firm's pro bono program going forward?
1: We're really excited about a new relationship with the Midwest Innocence Project, which you probably know um, they represent um, victims that have been wrongfully convicted. Um, Lathrop Gage has a really large insurance recovery practice specifically for um, victims of wrongful conviction. And so it only made sense that we would become involved on the pro bono side of this. Um, So we have some attorneys here at the firm that are really excited about this because they are familiar with um, the insurance recovery side and what happens sort of at the end of the case after a person that has been wrongfully convicted has been released. And so now to become involved on the front end of these cases and learn about um, innocence claims and um, all of the steps needed to to actually help an individual be freed um, is really exciting for them so hopefully um, we'll have an update soon on that um, we have a couple of cases that have just started with Midwest Innocence Project so I'm excited to hopefully report back soon on those
0: that's amazing definitely look forward to hearing about it so if you had a magic wand what is one thing you would change about law firm pro bono or access to justice
1: If I had a magic wand, I would probably wish for the same things that I think a lot of us in this community wish for, um, more time. Um, For me and for our attorneys, um, I have a wonderful problem of, you know, a lot of attorneys that want to get involved in in pro bono. And with our our humble (laughs) little pro bono department of here at the firm, um, it's sometimes difficult to get to to all of them and do as much as I'd like to do. Um, so that's a great problem to have, and I, and for our attorneys to have more time as well, um, so that they that they could become it become more involved in pro bono um, and also resources, which I think um, we all wish for for our legal service partners. Um, we cannot do. What we do without their help, without their referrals, without their support, without their expertise, their willingness to come over and and train us on different issues. And so I think we have all um, talked about that, especially lately, about how um, we wish that they could have the resources that they need to build and sustain their staff because we rely so heavily on our legal service partners uh, to do this work.
0: Definitely. So f- to, for our final question, who is your pro bono or access to justice role model or role models? Because if you can't just narrow it down to one, I know it's hard. And yeah. why?
1: I do have several. <laughs> but a few that come to mind right off the bat. Um, one is a partner here at Lathrop Gage who has been practicing for many years but will just dive in on any type of pro bono case even if it's something he's not necessarily familiar with um, he's always willing to jump in and help out but also to mentor our young attorneys to um, take on a case with them um, as they become more comfortable in growing their pro bono practice and he just is really willing to sort of try anything. Um, Granted, I think part of that probably comes with some of the confidence you gain after practicing for many years, Um, but it's inspiring to our younger attorneys and it's inspiring to me um, to just not be afraid to jump in and, and learn and ask questions and try to a need when there is one. And he also makes pro bono a regular part of his practice, so not a case here or there or when he has the time, but has at least one pro bono case going at all times, which is really my dream for all attorneys um, and I think um, should be our our goal is to just have um, pro bono be a regular part of our practice. I also grew up in a household where volunteering and being involved civically was just sort of the norm. Uh, both of my parents were always volunteering for an organization or were very philanthropic, and so I was just taught that that is um a part of of everyday life. And so um I know that's not pro bono. Neither of my parents were lawyers, um, but they are very aware of um, access to justice issues and um, the need for being involved in your your community. And it's just it's a reminder that we are so fortunate to have a law license and a law degree, and with that comes a great responsibility to give back where we can
0: that is an amazing uh, thought to end on uh, and definitely inspiring so thank you for being
1: a guest today
0: I really enjoyed our conversation
1: thank you so much Elise this was a lot of fun
0: new and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on apple podcasts and youtube be sure to subscribe if you haven't already please take a moment to leave an Apple Podcast review. It is quick and easy to do. We would appreciate the feedback and would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and questions to bono at probonoinst.org.